Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. Well, good morning. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Good, good. Well, my name is Brandon, and I am the Transformation Pastor here. So glad that you are here with us, whether you are with us online. We're glad that you are here with us as well. Um, You know, growing up, for me, some of the extracurriculars that I participated in is I I played football a little, a little bit of football, a little bit of basketball. I wrestled for a little bit. Um, One sport that I knew absolutely nothing about, though, was soccer. And uh, with that, I have a life update for you. Uh, I'm officially a soccer dad, everyone. Um, Now, did I see this in my future? No, I did not. I did not see this in my future, just like I did not see me pushing a minivan in my future either. But I'm really about this dad life. Like, I'm, I'm really about it. So when uh, my, my daughter Zoe, when, when her first soccer game came around, she's such a cutie. She gets it, she gets it from her mom. Um, when, when her first soccer game came around a few weeks ago, she was so excited. I mean, so much energy. She woke up at 6 a.m. on a Saturday morning, which is illegal in my house. Um, but I let that slide because I knew that she was really excited. So we got to the game, and uh, maybe you're like me, and maybe you've never seen five-year-olds play soccer. Um, to see five-year-olds do anything is hilarious. It's just, it's funny, you know. So the, the, the best way to describe it is, think about one of those Black Friday shopping videos, right? Um, everybody rushing into Walmart to the same TV. That level of chaos with a little bit more cuteness and, and, and a little bit more kindness, just everybody rushing to the ball all at once, no organization, none of that. It, it is hilarious. But one of the things that I thought was really interesting is that in between or uh, after every play when they would have a little break, they, they would come, the little five and six-year-olds, they, they, they would come back to their parents, including Zoe, and, and Zoe would just say, did you see me? Did you see me? And and I would say something like, I did. I did see you. I'm so proud of you. I love watching you run and knock other kids down. That is, that is great. I love the way you try to get the ball. And Zoe would just light up. She loved it. And for her at this stage, it's not, it's not so much about what she can do, you know, skills and all of that thing, you know, all all of that. It's about having fun. That's it. It's about having fun and knowing that her dad is watching her play. That's all she wanted. And then after that game, after that initial game, she's so excited. She's like, hey, can I invite everybody to come watch me play? And I was like, sure, sure, you can do that. But as I was thinking about this, reflecting on Zoe's soccer debut, I started to to realize something that this question, do you see me? It's not just something that five and six-year-olds ask, but it's something that we all ask at some point. Certainly in our relationships with people, we ask this, but but definitely in 2022, we, we wonder this about God. Do you see me? Do you see me? You know, maybe we've prayed for specific things, desires or wants. And maybe to be in a relationship or maybe to get a a certain job and it hasn't happened yet. And 
it can feel like we're not seen by God. Or, or leaning in a little further, let's say we do feel seen by God. We may wonder then, well, God, what do you see when you look at me? Do, you know, does he see someone who's selfish or envious or evil? Does he see a failure or a fractured individual? Does he see someone that doesn't do enough, who doesn't give enough, who doesn't love enough, who doesn't serve enough? What does God see when he looks at me? And when we really get to the core of this question, what we are really unsure about, what we are really asking is, God, do you love me? Does God love me? Actually, in 2020, Barna, a research group, they released some findings that said only one out of 10 Americans believe that God loves them unconditionally, that he is involved in their lives, and that he even exists altogether. Only, only one out of 10. So for some of us, we, we've heard this phrase, God loves you over and over again, but we wrestle with the reality of that. We may wonder, well, can God really love someone like me? Can he really love me despite what I've done in my past, despite what I've done years ago or yesterday, despite the fact that I've hurt people in my life, despite my anger or addiction, despite my cynicism or doubt, despite those negative thoughts or emotions I have about other people, despite what I've heard religious people say about people like me. I know personally, I, I know people who have walked away from God because of what they've experienced from God's people. It, it sent the message to them that God must not love me. Can that really be true? Can it be true? And here's the irony. The irony is that it's, it's not as hard for me to believe that God loves you and that he is close to you. But when it comes to ourselves, we wrestle with that. We struggle. We're unsure. God's love can feel complicated. It can feel unclear. And because of that, we can have both an, an appetite for God, but we also have this like apprehension for God as well. We, we can desire a level of closeness with God, but also feel discouraged because we don't really know what God thinks of us. We don't really know if he's a safe place. Because we're uncertain, we're unsure, we can fall into these patterns of just performance and doing. And when we're doing good things and playing the role, we, we feel like we're good with God and, and he's good with us. But when we're not, it, it feels like God is a little distant. It feels like we're disconnected. And we have this picture of this angry, judgmental God who is just waiting. He's just waiting to punish us. He's waiting for us to fail. Maybe God's love is just something that we become numb to. I know for me growing up in the church, this was kind of the case. I, I had become kind of desensitized to the love of God. It was a given. It's like, yeah, it's, it's an idea. It's a theological concept, and that's it. Maybe I'm the only one that's been in these places. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. 
My gut tells me though that that's not the case. In fact, in the Bible, the Bible is filled with people who have wrestled through similar questions about the love of God. And in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul, he writes to the Christians in the city of Rome and they have some similar wrestlings. And I would love for you to go with me to Romans 8, verse 15 to 17. And there are Soul City Bibles underneath the seat in front of you. And Romans 8, verse 15 to 17 is on page 916. Now, before we, we read, I want to I set the scene for us. Romans is one of Paul's most theologically complete works. He goes in in the book of Romans. And Paul, he's writing to a divided church made up of Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians. And basically the Jewish Christians, they believed that they needed to follow all of the Jewish customs and traditions to be real Jesus followers, while the non-Jewish Christians were like, nah, nah, we we don't need to do all of that. And, you know, they, they argue, they would argue about things like uh, how many times a day should you pray, what you can and cannot drink, can you eat pork or not, things like that. So because of this, there was a lot of beef in the church. You see what I did? You got me? You with me? You, you saw what I did. Just making sure y'all keeping up. Just making sure that y'all, y'all awake. That's all. So... So Paul, he, he begins the letter, he begins by, by, by setting everybody straight. He, he's like, hey, y'all, check it out. Uh, whether you are a Jewish Christian or a non-Jewish Christian, everyone has fallen short of God's divine standard. God is the only being that is righteous. And righteous is this Old Testament important, it's, no, it's an important word for Paul. It just means just and right in your very being. Then he, he basically says, y'all are missing it. You're missing the forest of the trees here. Your customs and your traditions don't make you good with God. They don't change your life. It is only through believing this good news, and this is the good news, that Jesus has taken your punishment. He died for your sins, but then he rose again in new life. And now he invites you to share in that new life. And because of Jesus, you now have access to God's Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the source of transformation in your life. So all of this, this is the backdrop of Romans 8. So let's go ahead and dive into verse 15 and check that out. Romans 8, 15 to 17, it says this. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you, uh, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So what is, this, what is this text saying? What is it telling us? Well, Paul, he is emphasizing right now to the Romans. He, he's telling them a, an, an important aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He's saying that God's spirit affirms who we are, and it also affirms how God sees us. He affirms our true identity. In, in verse 15, Paul, Paul says that, 
God's spirit hasn't brought about more oppression or fear in our lives, but God's spirit has ushered in this adoption to sonship. What is that? What is this adoption of sonship? Well, it was God's original desire and intention that we would be his sons and daughters through our union relationship with Jesus. We've been adopted into his heavenly family. When Paul uses this phrase, adoption to sonship, he's referring to the the Roman cultural practice of adoption, where under the Roman law, adoption was this very formal and expensive process. And through it, the chosen heir would become a legal son or daughter with all rights and privileges that a natural son or daughter would have. And it would almost always happen as an adult. And this is the crazy part. So even a Roman emperor could use the adoption process to pick a successor. And one of the most famous emperors who gained their emperor status by adoption was Caesar Augustus, who was adopted by Julius Caesar. And this is the picture that, that, that Paul is painting here. He's saying that just as a person could become an entire Roman emperor and inherit a earthly kingdom just like that, through your union with Jesus, you have inherited a heavenly kingdom because you are now in the family. You are not a slave or a, a servant in the family, but you are a son or daughter in his family. This is, this is scandalous when you think about it, because he's saying that essentially we have the same access to all of the spiritual rights and benefits that Jesus has. And if this isn't enough, then Paul goes on to explain that God isn't simply this, this distant, far off master. He's not, he's not a distant ruler but he is our father. In fact, through our connection with God's spirit, our connection with the Holy Spirit, we get to call God by this word that Paul uses, Abba. Abba. Abba is what little, maybe two, three-year-old Jewish children in, in the first century will call their fathers. It means daddy. It means papa. It means my own dear father. The, the, the word is only found three times in the Bible. That's it. And Jesus was the one who used this word first to refer to his relationship with God. And when he did it, in using this word, Jesus changed the whole game. He, he, he shook it up. And there were, you know, there, there was some folks who were like, hold up, wait, what are you saying? What's happening? And essentially, Paul is telling us that we have been invited Through our connection with the Spirit, we have been invited to share in the same childlike, intimate connection with God that Jesus has. It is God's Spirit that makes Abba God's love for us real. Now, I I, I totally understand that depending on our personal experiences with our own families or, or specifically our own fathers, that the concept of God being our father can be kind of challenging to accept. It can be a little difficult to accept because father can mean so many different things to us depending on our experience. 
You know, it, it could mean person who is loving and wonderful, but it, it could mean person who isn't involved. It can mean person who is critical, a person who is harsh. It's, it's easy to place personality traits upon God that are actually based upon our, our own experiences. I know for me, for a while, I thought that God was a pretty cool dude, uh, but not very physically loving and affectionate, but showed love by his actions because that's how my dad was. Now my dad is, is like one of, he's so affectionate. I'm, I'm like 31, he kisses me on the forehead, gives me hugs. He tells me he loves me. He's so affectionate at, and, and that's, that's awesome. I have to still get used to that. But <laughs> I, I'm just saying, I get it. I, I can understand that tension of, of that connection we make. But I, I want you to hear me say this in, in love, that God is nothing like our fathers. God is nothing like our fathers. Even if your father was incredible, our heavenly father is better. To compare our earthly fathers with our heavenly fathers is like saying watching five-year-olds play soccer is like watching the World Cup. (laughs) There is no comparison. Abba God is in a league of his own. And I believe that Abba God wants to begin pouring out his love. He wants us to experience him as father today. But then in, in verse 17, you know, Paul finishes this this little section by essentially saying that it won't always be butterflies and rainbows. He said there will be suffering. There will be difficulties that we will face. There will be challenges. And, you know, last week, Pastor John gave an incredible message and teaching on on how do we, how can we respond in those moments? And if you missed it, I, I encourage you to go back and give it a listen. But here's what Paul essentially says is that God doesn't leave us in our suffering. He doesn't leave us there. He says that if we suffer like Christ, then we can be sure that we will eventually shine like Christ, that we will share in this glory that Christ has. So how does God see me? What does he see when he looks at me? He sees his son. What does he see when he looks at you? He sees his daughter. He sees someone who's chosen. He sees an heir. He sees someone who's royalty, all because you are in Christ. Now, now for, for, for some, maybe you've been listening to me for like the last 15 minutes and you're, you're, like, you're like, nah, I mean, it, it, it can't be that easy. You know, it, it's got to be, it's got to be some work involved. Or maybe you're thinking like, yeah, but that, that's not really for me. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm not religious enough. Maybe that's for them. That's not for someone like me. And, and, and I relate. I, I get it because if I'm being honest, sometimes I, I struggle to reconcile why would God choose someone like me? I mean, someone who, who has messed up time and time again, someone who really completely rejected God at one point and turned my back on him, someone who, who lived as a secret agent for a portion of my life, double agent, double, secret agent Brandon for a while. 
someone who has so many uh, flaws, why would he choose someone like me? But I know when I fall into this pattern of thinking, when I, when I begin to think this way, I have to remember that it is the human instinct to want to magnify our brokenness but minimize God's benevolence. We just, we just start to assume that, that we are beyond repair, we are unworthy of love, and God's patience is running thin, and we're gonna, we've hit the cap on his love. Oh man, this is it. This is, this is all that he has left. But that cannot be further from the truth. The truth is that God's love for you is greater than you can comprehend. His love for you is greater than you can comprehend. Love is not something that God does. Love is who God is. We're, we're told this in 1 John 4, 8. It says that anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. The apostle John is basically saying that love is God's identity. And this is his identity statement. In the same way that I would identify as being black and beautiful, God is saying, I am love. This is a fixed quality. His love doesn't change. You can't hit the cap or the ceiling on his love for you. His love is like an, an ocean. It's, it's an ocean that consumes us and through being submerged in it, we are continuously transformed. His love is our safe place. It's where we truly belong. You know, in our, in our society, we have to do things to belong, right? We, we have to meet certain cultural norms to belong. We have to look a certain way. We have to talk a certain way. We have to dress a certain way. We have to have a certain economic status in order to experience belonging. Or at our jobs, we belong as long as we perform. You think you belong at your job? Try to not perform for a little bit. <laughs> let, me know, let me know how that works. I don't, I don't recommend that. Don't, don't say Pastor Brandon told me to check, my, check out my belonging status. No, I didn't. Here's the thing. In God's love, we don't belong because of what we do. We belong because of what Jesus did. We don't belong because of what we do. We belong because of what Jesus did. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful. We are not striving for God's love. We are living from God's love. His love is our home. And if you didn't hear me say anything else, I want you to know that God's love for you is lavish, not limited. His love for you is lavish and not limited. Now, lavish is my attempt to describe the indescribable, to, to name something that is the very essence of God. How, how do you do that? But lavish, it means to bestow something in generous or extravagant quantities. And this is what God's intention has always been, is to give us himself in generous and extravagant quantities to give us love and belonging in lavish measures. And God, he doesn't desire for us to simply intellectually know his love and to know it here, 
but he wants us to experience his love. He wants us to know his love. And I can, I can keep talking about it, but I'd rather you see an example of what it looks like. I want to share a story with you from a friend of mine who has began to experience what I'm describing. So I want to read you my friend Phil's story. And uh, Phil and I, we, we met initially through a program that we run here uh, called Alpha. And this is what Phil says. 2020 has been a personal and spiritual journey for me. I quit my job of eight years, sold my condo, decided to move cities. I was raised Jewish and had a bar mitzvah by age 13. And from then to 29, I periodically tried to get into religion, but would always prioritize other things. I started to date a friend from high school who showed me what the true love of God can look like. She's the one who introduced me to Soul City and continued to push me to go. After I went to the Easter service this year, I was prayed for by someone in the prayer room, and that person mentioned I should try Alpha as a way to create community through questions. Even though I still considered myself non-religious, I was starting to see signs that something bigger was happening in my life. I signed up for Alpha and felt a few personal breakthroughs in the first few weeks. Eventually, I attended an event called the Alpha One Day on a Saturday. Here is where I learned for the first time about the Holy Spirit. For me, the Holy Spirit is the hardest to see because it requires a full faith in something greater than myself. For the last, for the past few years, I have been taking a passive role in my life. I had been letting others define my direction because I thought that I needed this love from them. However, the Holy Spirit was different. The Holy Spirit to me says that God not only loves you, but God loves through you. He gives you the power to be your most authentic self because you are always loved. God's purpose for me comes through the Holy Spirit. I just needed to open myself up to see it. I was prayed for by a group member and she told me, uh, she told me so much of what I had been feeling but had never felt comfortable enough to say. She said that she could feel that God had a plan for me. She could feel my true nature and not the persona that, I, that had been created for self-preservation. The Holy Spirit was working through me. It was in this moment that I broke down and finally let myself feel. I am still very much in the beginning of my journey in my relationship with God, but for the first time in my life, I finally feel God's love. I feel like he has a plan for me, and as anxious as that makes me feel, I am waiting and listening to his plan. Yes, so good. Well, Phil, thank you so much for sharing your story. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. And I want to let you know, this is only the beginning, Phil. This is only the, uh, the beginning. God has a great plan for you. He loves you so much. And what you experience is that submersion in his love. And it doesn't stop here, my friend. It doesn't stop here. Thank you for sharing your story. I don't know about you, but as I listen to Phil's, uh, Phil's story, I can feel that God cares about him. 
I, I just sense I, I just sense that I feel God cares about Phil. And I want to say in no uncertain terms at all, the same is true for you. The same is true for you. God cares for you. Now, I, I think a natural question that may pop into you know, your head at this point is, okay, if all of this is true, what now? What, what, what do we do with all of this? What should I do with all of this? And I think that that's a wonderful question. My recommendation would simply be to be open, to be open, be open to the love that God wants to pour out and give you right now. Be open to God's spirit in this moment. I think especially if you've been in the, in, in the Christian game for some time, if you've been around for a, a while in this, you know, the church thing, it's easy to listen to a topic like God's love and be like, oh, that's elementary. How can God's love be elementary? God's love is, it's who he is. It's his very essence. We can never hit the ceiling or the cap of his love. So how can the concept and the experience of his love be elementary? I want to encourage you kindly to be open to what new possibilities and new experiences in his love that he wants to pour out and he wants to give you. It is the place where we belong. Performance is not our home. Achievements are not our home. Shame is not our home. But his love is our home. Now, when you all walked in, you should have grabbed a little card off of the tables in the back. And that little card just says, God, what do you see when you look at me? And if you didn't grab a card, our host team can grab you a card so that you can have one. And there should be pens also under the seat in front of you. And what I want you to do before we move into a a moment of worship is I, I want you to ask God this question. I want you to ask him this in your heart. God, what do you, what do you see when you look at me? And if you're with us online, maybe grab an index card or grab a sheet of paper, write this question down and simply ask God this question. You know, maybe you will hear something like, son, daughter, chosen, beloved, seen, accepted, adopted, royalty, queen, king. Maybe you will hear something like uh, provided for, never alone, not neglected. But I want you to sit and, and take a moment and, and ask, like, God, what do you see when you look at me? And I want this little card to serve as a reminder in those moments when thoughts of, of uh, unworthiness or thoughts of shame or guilt, when, when those things come, let this card serve as a reminder of what God actually thinks about you. Maybe you put this in your car, maybe you put it in the mirror, maybe you put this on your desk at work. But in those moments where the feelings of I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not doing enough, it can't be for me. Let this serve as a, as a reminder of, no, actually, this is what God thinks. So actually, even right now, why don't you take about 30 seconds 
And I want you to sit with that and write down what you hear. Write down what you sense in your heart. Go ahead and do that for a second. Well, hopefully you were able to think about what God thinks about you. And if something, maybe another word or phrase will pop up in your mind in our um, worship moment, I would just write that down and let this serve as a keepsake, a, a memory stone for you. Well, I want to invite you all to stand with me to begin to move into that time. Uh, but before we move into this uh, moment of worship, I, I want to give the opportunity for um, anyone today, either here in the room or with us online, to respond to God's love for them. Maybe you listen to this teaching today and maybe you realize that this, this relationship that, that I'm, I'm talking about with Jesus is not something that you've experienced. Maybe it's not something that you've stepped into. Well, Jesus, he wants to take our old lives and he wants to give us new life in him. And starting a journey with Jesus begins by simply welcoming his presence into your life. That's it. It starts by simply saying yes to Jesus. And God, I believe, he is pouring out his love and his affection in this now moment. And all we have to do is accept it. All we have to do is say yes to it. So I'm going to lead us all through a, a very simple prayer of saying yes. And y'all can pray this with me. And if you want, you can repeat this to yourself. You can borrow these words for yourself, or you can say your own version of, of what I'm saying to yourself. And it is a, a simple way of saying yes to Jesus. So would you all pray with me? You can close your eyes and hold your hands open. We like to take this posture because it just says I'm open. I'm open. So, well, God, I thank you for your never-ending love for me. I say yes to you because you first said yes to me. I welcome your presence in my life. In Jesus' name, amen.